welcome to Adlib, the York Theatre Royal podcast. Now this is a very special episode of the podcast because it was recorded live as part of the Takeover Festival last week. We had a live panel, live audience with questions, so it was very exciting. A little bit nerve-wracking, but very exciting all the same. Um, for those that don't know, Takeover is an annual festival at York Theatre Royal where um, young people aged between 12 and 26 take over the theatre for a week. They programme what they want, they market, they advertise, they just run the show for an entire week. Um, and this podcast was part of that, which was absolutely amazing um, to, to do. Um, so in this episode, we talked with Rachel Flanagan, the artistic director of TakeOver, Adam Foley, the production manager of Silent Uproar, and Alex Mitchell, the artistic director of Silent Uproar. Um, and we discussed whether theatre has a role in the climate emergency. So uh, have a listen, hope you enjoy, and maybe we'll see some more of these in the future. Thanks very much. Enjoy! Hi everyone, welcome to um, a live recording of Adlib, the York Theatre Royal Podcast, um, so as part of TakeOver this year. So as we're all aware, um, we're in the middle of a climate crisis. Um, because of a multitude of reasons, most of which we're not going to talk about today because we're talking about whether theatre has a role in this climate emergency. So the National Theatre, among other theatres, has declared climate emergency and men in the arts are sort of make, trying to make their voices heard and um, this year TakeOver has gone green and sort of made steps to be more environmentally friendly. So uh, joining me on the panel today, we've got Rachel Flanagan, the Artistic Director of TakeOver. We've got Adam Foley, Head of Production of Silent Uproar, and Alex Mitchell, the Artistic Director of Silent Uproar. So thank you for coming on, on the panel today. Thanks for having us. Um, so do you want to just introduce yourself so we'll know a little bit about you? Rachel, you can go first. Yeah. Okay, I'm the Artistic Director of this year's TakeOver. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just in charge of this year. That's, that's <laughs> Um, Adam, I'm the head of production at Silent Opera. Um, been with the company for a number of years now, and oversee our uh, environmental policy and our carbon counting going forwards as we organise our tours and our, ne- our future work. And I'm director of Steve Allen. No, this is more dramatic. <laughs> and I'm Alex Mitchell. I'm the artistic director of Silent Opera. Silent Opera is a northern-based UK touring. Uh, theatre company, we tour all new work around the UK and the whole, all the work we try and do is to make the world a little bit less shit. There's no kids around, so it's just like, that is our charity mission statement and we take, uh, uh, we're really surprised that anyone else that the charity commission allowed that into a legal document, so that was great. Um, and we make work for cinema goers and comedy fans that potentially don't regularly uh, interact with their local theatres and, and offer them a night out that they would enjoy. So and we're making it a carnage show, and that's what we're doing. <laughs> Perfect. So, Rachel, I'm going to start with you then. So, TakeOver has gone green this year. What does that mean, and why has TakeOver decided to take that route? So, a year ago, the board decided that the theme this year was to be green and I mean I can't exactly say why they did that because I wasn't involved back then but I kind of think it's it's linked to this sort of growing urge that a lot of young people feel right now not not just in regards to climate change but in, in like the entire political climate 
to take action. I think we're a bit bored of nothing happening. We're a bit bored of people just shouting about it. So now they are and we are starting to take a little bit more like like actual steps to change things. And I think the fact that Takeover is run by young people is, is completely well completely in conjunction with that. I think it's so relevant and so important. And yeah, so I, whether that's a bit why they decided or not, I don't know, but I think that it's very fitting and appropriate. Yeah, so what steps has Takeover taken this year to sort of increase its uh, green image? So when I applied to be artistic director, I knew that the theme would be green. So I actually looked up and found Staging Change, um, which is a really cool theatre network. It's a group uh, of people that decide to make a theatre network where theatre makers and artists, actors, sign up and say, okay, we are going to vow and, and try and do as best as we can to make sure that we're making art in a sort of eco-friendly way. Um, and that's kind of where a lot of the information I got came from. So if you want to go find it, look it up, it's really cool. Um, so that was kind of a starting point. I started looking at theatre companies such as Silent Apple that, that were a part of this network, learning a little bit more about what they did. And then when we had a team, we thought about print, like how can we print in a good way. We thought about what we could do for this building to change it. So if you look at the lovely menu over there, that's all vegetarian. And it was like the little thing like that that we really thought about. Yeah. Um, so as part of the being a part of the takeover team, a lot of people made pledges this year to um, kind of do little things that could sort of help improve or reduce the environmental impact of the festival. Do you think alongside this and sort of the steps we've taken, um, do you believe it's had an effect on those involved? I do think it's had an effect on those involved because again, like it, it just makes you think that extra little bit about the tiny things you do. And actually just starting a conversation in the first place, I think, is, is what is good for. Um, because we've changed the menu, there's been lots of things about people being like, oh, why have you done that? Oh, what's that all about? That, that kind of thing. I think that immediately starts people thinking about it, starts people actually having a conversation, and it stops climate change being such a distant thought. Because often the time it's like, okay, well, it's going to happen, but I don't see it happening yet. Um, so a lot of the time people don't take responsibility. I think us a lot. And, and York Theatre Royal have really sort of taken it to our own hands this week. And dare I ask how your pledge is going? Terribly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vegetarian anyway, so like, I get that point. <laughs> but um, no, I've tried, I've really tried. But yeah, it's hard, it really is. But every little helps on Every little helps. So Alex and Adam, um, so you produce a lot of new work, so you've had lots of success over the past few years. But um, how do you approach new work sort of? whilst thinking environmentally sort of consciously? Um, so R&Ding new scripts and working through that process always involves a lot of paper. It's the various methods that people have tried using, everyone, we'll give everyone an iPad and we'll do it like that, we'll use digital paper and do it that way. And it can be really stifling because you can't just scribble a tiny note on the back of that sheet of paper. So it's, it, we looked at a couple of different methods and we said that actually a lot of paper is kind of essential. But what we can do is reduce the amount that we use, only get paper from recycled or, and or sustainable sources, make sure that it's all recycled at the end, and also log how much we're using um, so that we can look at and try and reduce it and find ways to be more efficient going forwards, um, year on year, so we know we used this many sheets that on this project and we managed to get it down to this many by saying, okay, so everyone gets a bulldog clip and we clip it together. So when we have a new draft of a scene, we only replace that scene, we don't replace the whole thing. And that's sort of like through an R&D process. But then also looking at how we 
going to full production with our set and touring it around the country and how we set things up that way. Um, we looked back over our tour of The Super Happy Story, uh, which was the beginning of this year and the end of last year, and tried to count up the carbon emissions of the whole tour. We used uh, Julie's Bicycles tools in order to do that. You can log in the miles that you've travelled, how you've done it, and it'll give you an overall figure. And that gave us a figure of uh, just under 20 tonnes of CO2e. Um, that we uh, produced on this, and that's only what we can accurately measure. But that gives us a rough carbon budget to then apply to our next touring work and see how we can come in underneath that and project with that, because you can use the tools in advance as well as what you've done, to try and say, okay, so as well as a budget of however many thousand pounds to do this show, we also have a budget of 15 tonnes of CO2e, and how do we make sure that we come in under that on this tour and bear those things in mind as we go forwards? And that comes down to things like choosing uh, Scandinavian plywood rather than Chinese plywood. Because while the price is cheaper for the Chinese plywood, the cost in terms of price plus carbon is much, much higher to get it shipped across the world. And it's not, for, it's not grown in a sustainable way. They don't manage their forests in the same way that they do in Scandinavia. So you can have a much lower cost overall, even if the price is higher and you have to adjust your budgets to account for that. And it's, it's like a quid more as well, like, or a couple of pounds more. It's not like... A billion pounds for this piece of wood and 30p from China. Like it's, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's not a huge difference, but it's one that's very easy to go, oh, well, we can make a tiny saving there. But you're only making a saving in terms of currency. You're not making a saving in terms of your sustainability or the longevity of your work. So is this something you think about right from the beginning of the process? Yes. Cool. Um, so do you, is it difficult to balance these ideals whilst also with the sort of practicalities of it and the costs involved? Absolutely. There's some things that are really difficult to do, especially as a small company on our scale. Um, things like your touring schedule. So ideally you want to get all your ducks in a row and you'll start in the south and you'll work up, we'll work our way back home and we'll end up back in Hull and we'll have a lovely time. The reality is that we don't have the sway over venues to avoid having to go from Glasgow to Birmingham, back up to Newcastle, back down to Coventry. Uh, it's really, really hard. As much as we try, and we do try every time we're booking a tour to put those things in place to make a schedule that's easy for us to do and that we can use to travel the fewest miles. It's really, it's impossible, really. There's certain concessions that we have to make, and it's be, it doesn't feel fair on venues such as Oldborough at High Tide Festival to say, well, we can't come to you because you're too far away. That that doesn't feel fair on those audiences. It's also about the advocacy of our work with our next show being about climate change and the climate emergency. Um, like To say, oh, well, we're not going to give that message in certain areas because they're far away really underserves the advocacy of the project. Um, but yes, there's many ways in which it's really difficult for us to live up to the ideals that we have, because we have quite lofty ideals. We know that we're not going to be able to hit um, complete carbon neutrality on this project, but we can, and we do, work into our budgets that go off to the Arts Council to say that there'll be a level of carbon offset already in the budget from the outset that matches the carbon budget that we've set for ourselves. Um, and carbon offsetting obviously isn't the perfect solution to, oh, we've, we've done all of these things that have produced a lot of carbon dioxide, but it's okay, we're going to plant some trees. But it is at least a step. At least you're saying, like, we are trying to be equivalent, and we're, we're researching our carbon offset to make sure we're using only gold standard um, certified carbon offset that we can rely on that isn't being isn't taking carbon out in one way and putting it in another. But do you, I was going to say, do you want to explain? Does everyone know like what carbon offsetting is and why it's good and why it's terrible? 
Yeah, so um, carbon offsetting is basically you work out how much carbon dioxide or CO2e, which is actually the um, average of the greenhouse gases that you've produced, because methane, for instance, is one and a half times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. So one ton of methane is counted as one and a half tons of CO2e is sort of an industry standard way of looking at uh, your emissions. So you work out how many tons of CO2e you've, done, you've produced and then you find a project that says, oh, we can take in that amount of CO2 um, to make that amount of CO2e by planting trees in a certain place or by reducing carbon emissions uh, through um, biomass uh, digesters and things like that. Um, and you can invest into those and they say, okay, for £100 worth of investment, we can use that to uh, capture 300 tonnes of carbon or something like that. It's not quite that efficient. They're not going to fit. Um, so you then pay for that amount so they do it. And the, all of these projects are certified to say how efficiently they can do that and how reliable, your, how reliable they are when they say, we're going to take in a tonne of carbon dioxide, how much they actually do and whether there's been some scandals of projects where they've been cutting down trees in order to make space for carbon offsetting projects, which is quite insane, but that's why certification is a thing, and it's why you should only really invest into gold standard carbon offsets. Cool, so moving on, um, do you feel that being sort of vocally uh, green in your work, does that help bring in new audiences, do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think there's a very, very niche, niche audience that are like, I want to go see this theatre show because of its green message. You know, we're living in a, like a part of the uh, the kind of emergency, and I think everyone's aware of it, regardless of if they're on the fence, completely disagree with it, or are really deeply inspired by it. Everything that we do as a charity is to um, provide people with a night out that they would want to go on. So really, we're, our next show is a sci-fi musical. And we're selling it as a sci-fi musical. And there's dancing grannies in it. It has like '80s pop numbers in it. It's got really ridiculous staging in it. But at the heart of it is a message of uh, if we don't do anything about climate change in a hundred years of time, um, it's really. And I think that's for us. I feel like you need to get the message across, not simply by preaching, but find a digestible and accessible and relevant method to communicate those green standards, because that's when the audience will come to. Yeah, do you feel you'll put people off if you try and sort of force the issue down their throats then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like we are living at a time of this country is statistically the most unhappiest it has ever been. Um, it's what recent terms are saying, you know, we are not looking for a message uh, to make us feel guilty or depressed or ashamed. So I feel like the, 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 the you know, it's kind of how David Attenborough does it. He's like, let's talk about climate change. Oh, but with penguins. Okay, I'm listening, David. <laughs> <laughs> I am on board now. Instead of using real dancing grounds. Here we do with dancing grounds. Yeah, penguins are expensive. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a couple of sort of, I thought about sort of outside of this kind of, sort of, the people here, obviously, we all kind of were aware of that we care. But someone looking in potentially might think that, not my opinion, but theatre maybe should stick to its own lane and that it's not supposed to force issues upon people. What would you what kind of say to that? So I've got a very, very controversial opinion. I think theatre needs to get out of the lane that it's in. <coughs> if I see another show about a show or another <laughs> performance about how hard it's being a performer, 
I am going to never return to this. Um, and, but also, you know, there's either two ways of looking at theatre. Either theatre is the um, cultural ivory tower that us poor people in the community can only dream of what it is, you know, and it should sit above the community. Or a theatre is a place at the heart of the community that the community can, can come to and discuss the things that are relevant and pressing to that community. And I believe in the theatre of the latter, so therefore it's imperative that theatre talks about other things in the community, the climate change emergency being one of them. Rather than, say, being sort of, I've put it in my notes, sort of like a self-serving pat on the back, where it's actually having minimal impact, that even to all these little changes, you believe that this, all these little things will make a difference long term. Yeah, exactly. It depends, you know, how how you talk about it. If we did like uh, the Lorax that the old Vic did, which was a brilliant musical production that was directed by um, Matt Webster, and it was really, really beautiful. At the end of the show, they handed the kids to the kids here and the parents and people like me that came who didn't have kids or didn't come to their parents. But I was like, this is great. Um, some sunflower seeds, because the whole point was, he was like, right, you've had a lovely night at the theatre, now go out and do something. It was really talking to its community that you can have a, an action, you can, you can make a change and be the change that you want to see in the world. And so I think if theatre does that, great, that's kind of going, hey, we as an industry are going to change and all industries need to change. If theatre goes, can someone please praise us because we've designed We've spent millions of pounds and all of our patron funders and donors' money to make this eco pair of ballet buttons. Then I'd be like, shut it down. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it, it depends on how you're applying your advocacy and how you are talking about your message and how you're communicating to your communities. Um, is imperative, I think. Yeah, because sometimes it can get a bit bogged down in sort of the image that a lot of people that are outside of the theatre world see it as this, as you say, ivory tower, kind of inaccessible, I suppose, that's a word. Um, yeah. But so, what do you think theatres and companies like yourselves can do to kind of do more to help reduce their impact? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, um, so, <coughs> in terms of reducing impact, one of the things that we've found over again as a, as a small company is that our advocacy is actually more powerful than our practice. So looking at uh, how we move our set around the country and how we run a van. If we don't own a van, we usually rent a van. And we looked into it, we said, oh, asked our uh, van company, oh, would you let us run your hire van on biodiesel? They said no, and I went, oh, that's sad. And went back to the office and started costing it, well, could we buy a van and run it ourselves and get our own biodiesel? And I realized that actually, that would take us out of the picture in terms of how much we would then be running our van on biodiesel and that'd be great. But actually what's more important is us going back to the van hire company and saying, well, actually we come to you several times a year. We spend thousands of pounds with you every year. And in order for us to keep doing this, we need you to supply a greener solution because we can't keep doing it. So we can put that pressure on the van hire company and say, well, give me a solution. If you won't let me run the vans that you already have on biodiesel, what can you offer me that is a greener solution? That then becomes available to lots of other people. Once we, if we can make that van hire company bring on some hybrid units or um, find a way that they can run their vans on biodiesel, if we can make that push and have that advocacy, we can open up the greener option to a, great, a, a much larger number of people and other companies who can then use it. 
and that in that way we can affect better change through advocacy rather than just taking ourselves out of the picture. So while there is a thing about virtue signalling and giving ourselves a pat on the back, we need to be shouting about what we're doing in order to make change, and we can do that better if we can affect it for everyone rather than just ourselves. One thing that we're trying to do with um, so our next show, thank you for doing nothing, is maybe doing a ten-week tour around the UK if we get the funding for it that we're waiting on. Um, and what we're going to do is every theatre we're going to go to, we're going to ask them about their energy supplier. Are you with a green energy supplier? If the answer is no, we go. Can we change your homes? <laughs> I know we're only here for a night, but would you change your entire work? Because usually it's the same price. You know, it comes off the same grid. What you're just doing is giving less money to BP and more to a, a greener company to do it. Uh, and if they are on a green company or would even consider changing to a green company to get their electricity, we will then ask them if they post about it to their local community, being like, hey, look, we've gone from burning seals to <laughs> using solar panels. Isn't this great, guys? And then hopefully we can advocate in local communities other business owners can change, or homeowners can change where they're getting their energy from. Because actually, sometimes a greener solution is cheaper, or if not, just the same exact price. So yeah, so I think you know it's not about doing everything perfectly, but just sort of shouting about it, <laughs> shouting at people. Yeah. I, I just think that's also something that, through staging change, is something that we're trying to get as many companies as possible to ask the theatre that they're going to, where they get their energy from, um, in a way to guilt them into eventually changing their ways. <laughs> so if we can say, oh, where do you get your energy from? Fine, you're not going to do it from a green source. That's fine, but that is going to go in our report to the Arts Council at the end of our tour. And then they find that all 12 companies that are coming into their studio that year are asking them the same question. Hopefully we can get those, build those larger buildings to change where they get their energy from and start to push that through. Sure, and just before we kind of open up, if anyone's got a question, do you want to just give us a sort of lowdown on your talk that's coming up? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's called Thank You for Doing Nothing, uh, and it's set from the perspective of if we do nothing, what will the future look like in 80 years' time? And we follow a spin doctor, Molly Pascan, whose job it is, is to make people do nothing so that her clients can become richer. So it's kind of about the climate emergency and the men that profit from it. It's kind of the research we've done. We've researched it with climate change researchers, Harvard University, Hull University, Leeds University, um, and it is written by Sunday Times Award winner Josh Oakley, who's also a writer. And it's going to do a 10-week tour in April to June around the country. There'll be loads of dates in Yorkshire uh, and some dates up other places, some days in London, but don't worry about that. Comes along with no. Yeah, and it'll be next year. Very exciting. And you've also got your Dungeons and Dragons um, show coming up as well. Oh, yeah, we have the world's most stupid Christmas show coming up called Dungeons and Dragons The Unofficial Adventure. We've mixed the board game Dungeons and Dragons and turned it into like an interactive panto. You don't need to know how to play it in order to come along. It's a comedy show. It's touring around pubs and clubs. Uh, three actors that you control go on an adventure to save Yorkshire from uh, private landlords, climate change, and bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's for nine plus. <laughs> not even lying about the last bit. <laughs> uh, it's, and it's made with comedians and writers around from Hull and London.
Perfect. So, does anyone have any questions that they'd like to ask our panel? Just, just say it. We'll oh, be um, the reason why I'm here is twofold, really. First of all, um, a couple of years ago, I saw a play called *The Children* by Lucy Kirkwood at the Royal Court, and there's a wonderful Q&A with her afterwards, saying that you can't just write a play about climate change; you write a play about families and people and love and hate and the rest of it. And uh, I found it so fascinating to say that I went to see it again up at Theatre by the Lake, and it was beautiful again. So what do you think about, but well, the first question, what do you think about actually trying to get more programming of plays like that, which don't come at climate change head on, but maybe more obliquely, so people come for a good night out of the theatre, but they get the message delivered underneath. Mm -hmm. That's my first question. The second point I'm going to make is that I have got a vested interest in being here as well, because the play that I'm going to be performing in in November is called When the Rain Stops Falling by Andrew Bovell. And that's actually another play about climate change and the effect of uh, global warming and the end of the world, but also very uplifting. So I just wanted to let people know that that was on and is in very much chiming in with what you are doing. So thank you very much for being here today. So my first question, do you have an answer to that about coming at things obliquely or head on? Uh, I'm gonna, you're going to roll your eyes. Um, my favourite play in the entire world is The Jungle, uh, by Good Chance Theatre. So much so that I wrote an entire dissertation on theatre and like action and how we make people act. And I sort of came to the conclusion that the best way was kind of what you were saying, like offer them a solution after. But I think the most important way is to make it about people. Because I think if you try and say, this is happening, this is really bad, people are like, we know it's happening, we know it's really bad. But actually, people get emotional really easy watching theatre. That's one of the good things about it. And I think if you can evoke that emotion and be like, this is happening to people. These, they're not, not no one. There's actual people that are suffering because of climate change, the refugee crisis, whatever the cause it is. You can get people to have this kind of reaction where they're all of a sudden like, oh, God, I really must do something. And I think if you offer them a solution as soon as they leave the theatre, so with them, they literally had charity points everywhere. So as you're walking out, you felt like, like horrendous about the situation, like I want to help, and they're like, okay, we've got a solution, here it is. And I think that is the best way to kind of do it. So yeah, no, I totally agree. It's not, it's about people more than it is about the cause. It's about the cause, you know what I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I think there was slightly tangentially linked, uh, there was a study that they did about dental hygiene, stick with me, <laughs> where they would show different groups of people um, different pictures of people with really, really poor dental hygiene. And they found that the people that they showed the worst pictures to, that were like horrible, like gums receded all the way to the roof of the mouth, teeth falling out, all of that, just sort of gave up and said, oh, it's inevitable, it's going to happen, and didn't, in didn't improve the way that they looked after their own teeth. The people they showed sort of like a medium thing to, where they would, uh, it was like, oh, that looks really bad, that looks really painful, I want to avoid that, were more inspired and improved their dental hygiene a lot more than people who were shown the very worst case scenario. Because if you tell people, it's all doom and gloom, it's horrid, it's all going to happen, there's nothing you can do, people are more likely to give up. Um, and that, like, they found that in various things, but I was going to say you probably have a better point than me. Um, but like, coming at it with that sort of thing that we need to inspire hope 
rather than horror um, in what we're doing, particularly <laughs> on an issue where we need people to take action. It's really, really important. And coming at it from an, an oblique angle and making it about people is the, the best way to do that because you get a vested emotional interest rather than a revulsion from mm. it. Yeah, and I think that's the, you know, it's so important that we make it about people uh, because that's what we are. <laughs> uh, you know, they talk about a lot of problems with the climate change emergency particularly was that we got a load of scientists up to talk to a load of people. Um, this analogy, scientists aren't people, you know. Uh, uh, and the problem is that people didn't understand it, or spin doctors in particular could disown what the, those scientists were talking about because they were talking about words that are incredibly complicated, and scientists aren't normally public speakers. Usually, they are people that can academically prove things through papers. Um, so that's sort of like one of the main reasons why they said that people just talking about the issue and not about how it affects people is kind of. Uh, one of the reasons why we're in this emergency as it is, and all the people burning oil as well. Um, but yeah, you know, one of the main things that we're really interested in as a company is uh, providing people a celebration to go and be inspired to commit action, rather than being like, right guys, lock the doors, we're going to talk to you why it's your fault we weren't polar bears in 50 years. Like, if we can do it and also give people a good night out, then I said that. I think people are actually more inspired to have to go and do something, not always be too depressed to do anything. Perfect. Got any other questions that people want to ask? It's okay if you do. That's fine. So, uh, we'll leave it there. Have you got any? Um, so, you've, you guys know quite a lot a bit about all the sort of scientific data and about how we can sort of actively change. Where would you recommend getting sort of, if you want to learn more about it, where would you recommend going? Uh, Julie's bicycle. Is the best. They're um, they're an independent charity, and they are specifically for <coughs> theatre and entertainment industries. They have um, tools on there that can help you work out your carbon footprint, and loads of resources around um, how you can counter what you can do, how, what you're doing, and how you can do better. Um, schemes that you can sign up to to help you with that. They also have uh, webcasts where they talk about the realities of green touring or how I can build my set in a more eco-friendly way. They have those as like instructional uh, webcasts. They're really, really good and really approachable and happy. And for something a bit spicier, I'll go read Naomi Horsecares' The Merchants of Doubt. Or it's also a documentary and it's an audible. It's an amazing book of kind of like the history of why we are here and who made the most money from it. Really good. Cool, and then we'd also recommend the State of Change Network, it's been mentioned a few times. Definitely go check that out. We've also we've got a lovely interview on the virtual, um, because Take Over is part of it this year. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming and listening, and thank you to our panel. so much for listening to this special live episode of the podcast it's all very exciting very new um but maybe we'll see a few more of these which is very exciting um if you are a first time listener please go back and have a listen to the other episodes we've recorded we've got some great interviews in there that i think you'd really like um and do please do give us a nice review subscribe wherever you get your podcast because that does help as well and of course tell your friends and family where to find us um, if you want to find out more information about how theatre can play a role in the climate emergency, um, we recommend you look up Staging Change, which is a fantastic network um, of theatre makers, creatives, 
all sharing how that how you can be more green and sharing their advice uh, as as well, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and I do recommend that you go check out Silent Uproar. There, they've had some amazing shows in the past, um, and I'm very excited to see what they do with this new show. So once again, thank you very much for listening, and thank you to our amazing panel and audience. Um, it was a bit nerve-wracking, but it was very exciting all the same. See you soon. Bye. Bye.